So if you've been here the last few weeks, we've been studying or making a case for creation as opposed to evolution and other worldly ideas. And I say worldly because that's what they are. There's no basis for what these ideas are. In fact, we've made a lot of arguments, good arguments, philosophically, biblically, scientifically, uh, even historically for the case of creation. And you say, well, yeah, okay, well, I believe creation. The Bible says it, and I believe it. Well, that, that's good and well, and that's the way you should. But we still have to defend that to the world, right? The world doesn't believe. And so we have to be able to make cases, make logical arguments, right, for the defense of our faith. And yeah, we can say this is what the Bible says, but for someone who doesn't believe, that's not going to necessarily persuade them. Right? It's not going to make them understand. And we can, we can see things in the, na- in the world, in our creation. We can see things and understand things that prove it out. Oh, sure, you say, well, that's just a theory, or you don't know that for sure. Well, we can make a pretty good case. If nothing else, a circumstantial case, which, if you know anything about law, circumstantial evidence has put many a person in jail. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make the case for creation. Yeah, of course, that's what happens. Creation is absolutely true. We've talked about that in Scripture Scripture's true, it's absolutely true. It's the revelation of God, the creator of the world, the creator of the universe, the creator of you. And that is true and undebatable in your minds, right? In your heart. It's undebatable. I mean, it just makes sense. How in the world could all of this have come about by some random chance that some single-celled organism 500, 600 million billion years ago just evolved into a man. And we talked about how even on the molecular level how complex that is, how utterly ridiculous that is to look at that and say, that just happened by chance? That just randomly happened? I don't get it. So we've been looking at a lot of these difficulties. We did look at some of the different ideas actual creationists have for uh, the idea for explaining Genesis 1 and trying to map, match that to the uh, evolutionary record. You know, they say that the world, the earth is 4.5 billion years old or something like that, and the universe is 14 billion or something like that. And they try to match it out and say, well, maybe the first, the six days are really not days, 24 hour, literal 24 hour days, but maybe that's an age or an eon or a long period of time. We talked about the Hebrew word yom could mean a 24-hour period or it could mean an age or long period of time. But we kind of talked about how in the context of Genesis 1, it's used to mean a 24-hour period. And we did that last week. We kind of made the case, right, that creation occurred in six 24-hour days. How it relates to some of the sabbatical laws that you see in the Old Testament, some of the laws that the Israelites had when referring to that Sabbath rest, that Sabbath day, the same day that God rested when he created the universe, right? We could see uh, relevant uh, allegories to that, relevant metaphors, you might say, but all these things are good evidence that it was six 24-hour days, and he rested on that seventh 24-hour day. So it's interesting to take all that into account. I hope you've been able to learn that. We're going to have a lesson today and then one more next week, and then we'll get into the study of of the letter of Colossians. But I wanted to review that a little bit. Today we're going to look at some difficulties with evolutionary science, right, and kind of talk about that a little bit. 
so popular in the world today, right? And our children are being taught this in schools, right? Uh, in fact, so much so that if we don't talk about it at home or talk about it in our Sunday school classes or talk about it in our worship services, that's all they're going to get. They don't get that in school anymore, right? Like they used to. Some of you folks who went through school, well, just a couple years ago, right? More like 50, 60 years ago. You actually had Bible lessons in your school, didn't you? I think some of your older folks did. Actually had Bible lessons in your schools. Not anymore. Not in public schools anyways. So that's something we have to train our children. We have to teach them. It's important stuff. Because if you start taking away the idea that creation is not something that happened or not came from God or it's just a story, it's not true, then the basis of their faith starts to erode, doesn't it? That's the very basis that God created you. Everything on this earth came from God. And if that starts getting taken away, wow, it doesn't take long to remove everything, right? To remove all that we know of God. Many people assume that science has proven evolution is a fact. I mean, if you, in your schools, that's what you're going to hear. Evolution is fact. And that is not true. That is absolutely false. You watch TV, you watch science programs, you, you see things, all they talk about is evolution and how this happened, and evolution caused this, and this is the back. It's not a fact, but that's what you'll hear. It's here, it's not a theory anymore, that it's an infallible, irrefutable explanation to the origin of life. And you might even hear it's a good reason to reject the account of creation from the Bible. And this is because most are unaware that crucial elements of the evolutionary theory have never been proven. You don't hear that, though, do you? You don't hear that part in school or on TV, right? There are there's, and there's growing dissent among many scientists today that say it can't be true. There's too many gaps. There are too many things that are wrong with it to say that that's how life came about. But you don't hear that on TV, do you? You don't hear that in the popular media. You don't see that on Twitter or, or Facebook, right? You only get what the world wants you to see. You only get what this dark, dying world wants you to hear. We're going to look at a few of those difficulties today. First of all, though, let's define the word evolution. What does it mean? Well, on a simple basis, it just means change, evolving, something changing. A little more uh, complex to that, changing over time, changing over long periods of time, things evolving. Um, you might say, when I was 20, I was a lot thinner. Now that I'm 50, 60, I have evolved, right? I'm not as thin as I used to be, perhaps. I know that's funny, funny way to put it, but that's what we're talking here, basically. Things changing over time. That's what evolution means. That's all it is. We get this idea that, oh, it's some major word that was made up or something that, you know, prove things. It's just, it just means change. Both scientists that are uh, evolutionists and creationists would say that's what that word means. But we want to talk about a couple of different things here. One, and I've alluded to this in the past, is Two, two things that we have to look at when we're talking about evolution of species or evolution 
of animals or evolution of living things, life forms. A biological explanation of the origins of life, right? And we have something we would call microevolution, all right? Microevolution is a term that generally refers to evolutionary change below the level of species, all right? Now, if you remember from your biology class, I don't know, I'm assuming pretty much everyone here had a biology class at some point, high school or maybe college, and you looked at the classifications, the biological classifications of, of all living things, and you had, uh, what is it, uh, kingdom, which was, you got mammal or plant life or, I don't know, what's the other one, single-celled organisms, and then you got something below that, and then you got the family, which is, uh, I don't know, dogs, horses for mammals. For plant life, you got flowering plants, maybe ferns, I don't know. It's a whole range of that. I really have no desire to get into. But it's leveled out at the species level, right? You had the family, say you've got horses, and then you've got, I think it's genera, which would be different kinds of horses, and then the species is a horse, or another species is a donkey, or another species is a zebra, right? You get to that level. And what microevolution says is, there are, specific, there are changes that can be observed at that level, at the species level, right? And that's true. You can see things that change over time at that level. We've mentioned before, talking about horses, uh, mules. And some of you farmers might know, have had a mule or seen a mule. I'm sure most of you have heard about mules. Mules tend to not have a gender, or if they do, they cannot reproduce, right? Mules are of the species, or, or of the family of horses, okay? But the way you get a mule is breeding a horse, a, a, a mare with a jack, a female horse with a male donkey. It's the only way it can happen. Uh, you might have heard, might, you get online, you might see some wild stories about how a mule had a foal, but it's probably just talk. Probably didn't exactly happen like they're saying it is. But, and a, but a mule only has, and I'm getting detailed here, 63 chromosomes. Horse has 64, donkey has 62. You have to have an even number of chromosomes to be able to reproduce. Did you know that? I know. You probably heard it back when you were in biology class. Don't want to get too detailed here. But that's why a mule can't reproduce. It has 63 chromosomes. You got to have an even number. You get one pair from the mother and you get one pair from the father. Two, right? With 63, that's an odd number. You can't get that. That's why a mule can't reproduce. And many have said that's where that species ends. I don't know if that's true. You might can make that statement. But I want to read something in Genesis and turn over to Genesis 1. I'm going to read something there <clears throat> that might make kind of a reference to this. Genesis 1, verse 24. It says, Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beasts of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So what are we reading there in Genesis 1? God created the animals but each animal is of a certain species, right? A certain family at the most, but definitely a certain species. 
And so you might say, well, a mule is a horse or of the horse family, but that's where that species ends. It cannot cross over to a dog. It cannot cross over to a fern. It cannot cross over to a fish because it's its own species. It's its own kind. But these, there is what you would call microevolution over time within a species. A uh, couple examples you've heard uh, about, and you've probably heard a lot lately with the virus, but how certain mosquitoes adapt to pesticides, right? And, you know, DDT was a popular pesticide back 50 years ago or 60 years ago, and now not so much. But there were mosquitoes, you know, when places where malaria was popular, they would spray DDT, kill the mosquitoes, and you would eliminate malaria, pretty much. But then, over time, those mosquitoes adapted and were able to withstand that uh, pesticide, and malaria started coming back in these places. Differences according to adaptation. Survival of the fittest, you might say the Darwin uh, or not the origin of the species, but the survival of the fittest, natural selection. Those that can adapt will survive. So you see that on that kind of level. You might have heard about, I don't know if you knew this, but a sparrow. Did you know there were no sparrows in North America until the middle 1800s? About 1852, the house sparrow was introduced to North America. And it came from Europe or somewhere. And over time, they've been able to observe that sparrows in the north tend to be bigger than sparrows in the south. Who knew, right? And that's an adaptation according to climate. Sparrows that are bigger tend to survive colder climates better than sparrows that are smaller. They've been able to see this happen over time. People have been around long enough to see this and observe it. And so that's what you might call an example of microevolution. Birds adapting to their climate over time. Natural selection has caused this. But this is used to prove out we all came from a single cell organism. And today I'm going to talk about that a little bit and say that can't be true. <laughs> the second example is called macroevolution, and that's what I'm going to mention here. Macroevolution is a term that refers to evolutionary change at or above that level of species, okay? Above the level of family, even perhaps crossing over, as I mentioned from one organism to a different organism. It would refer to evolutionary change that's a long period of time, something that's not really observable by us. It would have to be something that's recorded long period of time and probably be in the fossil record, right? I mean, you're talking ages here. Some would apply the changes above the level of general family, some would relate large-scale changes over geological time to macroevolution, in other words, coming from an amoeba to a man. You know, like, well, that's ridiculous. Well, that's what evolutionists will try to make you believe. They don't have any proof, and we'll get into that in a second, but what they do is, is they take those changes they see at the micro level and extrapolate that across families of species, or species, right? And say, well, if these things happen now, it must have, however, long, long periods of time occurred that these species crossed over. And that's where Darwin, Charles Darwin, comes into his theory. The theory on the origin of species. Organic evolution, claiming many species arise and are perpetuated 
by natural selection. In other words, single-celled organisms eventually became uh, things in the sea. Those things in the sea became reptiles. Eventually, those reptiles became like, I don't know, a frog and started living on the land as well in the sea. And then eventually, they just stayed on the land, evolved into that. And eventually, they turned into ape-like creatures and became a man. All right. That's, that's a, in a nutshell, the theory of evolution. All right. Darwinism, he put that theory forth. Neo-Darwinists or new, newer Darwinists would include things like mutated genes in that respect and how those things would change. And you've heard that a lot, right, with the COVID mutations and the COVID variations and how we've got the Delta and the mu, mu uh, what do you call it, the mu virus, mu virus are coming up now, you know. Things have mutated over time. They've adapted to the, uh, uh, perhaps the, the vaccination. They've adapted. They change as they tend to uh, find ways, have ways to continue to perpetuate themselves, all right? So what we're looking at is the idea that what we can see in microevolution gets extrapolated across to macroevolution over time. Well, in your outline, if you picked one up, there's a lot of scientific comments in here, and I'll just go through some of them shortly, kind of sum up what they're saying. Basically, there's a lot of difficulties, and a lot of scientists have begun to see that. It's a limited theory. For instance, all, there's many scientists that say all that evolution has done is to just continue to prove that at a micro level, organisms do adapt. You know, looking at the changes in moths and how they change over time. But they've never proved where a moth came from, its origin. They've never been able to prove that. And so the idea was that this theory would eventually prove it, that we'd eventually see in the fossil record or, uh, that, and prove out that things have evolved over time. Uh, others are saying that it simply explains uh, the fine-tuning at the micro level, but not the origin of novel structures. There are many species, there are new species found all the time. Did you know that? Now, we, you know, we, we don't see that necessarily, but you go out into an island somewhere and they find new species of animals all the time. They still do. That happens. <clears throat> well, how did that species get there if it was evolving? I mean, it's kind of isolated, right? Things happen over time. They can't explain where these species just showed up. Neo-Darwinism, by many scientists' account, is a failed theory. It fails at explaining the origin of the species. Yet that's not what you hear on TV, is it? That's not what you see in your science textbooks, is it? It's not what the kids are hearing at school. It fails to explain the emergence of organisms <coughs> like algae, ferns, plant life, Starfish, all these things, it can't explain how they came about. That's not anything that proves it. Some also say it's a dying theory. Some are taking into account the foundation thing, saying the only reason to follow it is because it can't be falsified. In other words, they're saying a lot of the scientists now are only keeping that theory in mind, teaching it, because it can't easily be falsified. So they just follow it. <clears throat> even though there are major gaps in the fossil record that they can see. And we'll get into that in a second. Biologists said natural selection was the only directive 
uh, and, and way to get uh, man from an, a single-celled organism. And they show that natural selection of random, muta of random mutations account for what we observe, but they can't prove it. There's also dissent uh, regarding evolution uh, and the, uh, regard, regarding um, Darwin and, and, and uh, the science that he put forth. There are other sciences now that are showing us things that kind of go against that. Uh, cosmology, uh, other scientists, uh, other science, scientific areas, you'll see uh, things that kind of say, well, this could not have happened this way. But you don't necessarily hear about it. As I mentioned, the media is pretty strong, isn't it? The media kind of tells you how things ought to be, and they kind of leave things out, don't they? Uh, do we have an absolutely unbiased press today? <laughs> You're laughing. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? What you get on TV is someone's agenda, right? You don't get true unbiased reporting anymore. Everybody has an agenda, and they report things based on the way they believe things. You see, what you believe pretty much makes up what you say and what you report and what you do. You can say, oh, I, don't, I don't believe in anything. I just, I'm just living the moment. Well, that's your belief. Everybody believes in something, <clears throat> whether it's based on truth or whether it's based on a lie, they believe in something. The media's gonna tell you only what they want you to hear. And man, have we seen that more than ever recently. Many scientists are now courageously coming out and coming forward to sign things to say we don't agree with this. In your outline you can read about it, but there, uh, there's a Discovery Institute, I guess, that came about a few years back, I think in 2001 it says, where a bunch of scientists came with this, we are skeptical of claims for the ability of random mutations and natural selection to account for the complexity of life. It's amazing that you even got to write a statement like that, right? They're skeptical of it. I think it takes a lot more blind faith to believe something can randomly come into a complex life than to believe in God. In fact, there's some books have been written about that, pretty good ones. It takes a lot more faith to believe in evolution than it does to believe in creation. There's also a lot of dissent, apparently, in the medical fields. Um, and, and I've said this before, but you would think when you go to a hospital, you, you have a doctor that's going to tell you the truth, right? You want a doctor that's going to tell you the truth, right? You wouldn't want politics to be involved in what your doctor's telling you, right? But Remember, doctors are human. And doctors get paid by somebody else. And they have to account to somebody else, right? And so even your doctor is politically motivated at some point. Right? Oh, no, not my doctor. Not my doctor. Well, what about a doctor who is afraid to lose his job because he's, or a scientist afraid to lose his job because he's, he doesn't believe in evolution anymore, but he can't teach it because he's not going to get paid anymore. Does that come into play? <clears throat> Interesting. Yet there is a lot of dissent among the in the medical industry or the medical area that says, we don't believe this anymore. And there's some that have signed some uh, 
uh, statement saying uh, that we are skeptical of the claims of the ability of random mutation and natural selection to account for organizations and complexity of life, and we therefore dissent from Darwin's macro theory as a, as a viable theory to the origins of life. <clears throat> you see, teachers and scientists get censored for making statements like that. Oh, well, we live in a free world. We can say what we want. You can? Don't know anymore. I keep seeing things about people getting shut up on Facebook and Twitter and stuff in these days. You may have heard about that. Yeah, sure, we got free press and all this. We're guaranteed all that stuff, but it's not as easily something that's attained, right? So here we are. I'm trying to give you a background of this, right? Trying to show you some things that you've not heard in the media, right? Not heard in your schools. There is a lot of dissent out there to the theory of evolution. There really truly is. Not just in church. Not just among Christians. But it's by scientists in science. When you've heard that, how many times have you heard that in the past two years? Follow the science! And then they, science changes the next week. One week you, gotta, you don't wear a mask, next week you do wear a mask. And by the way, now all the companies in America are going to have to get vaccinated, I guess. Yeah, all those things occur because of politics. It's not necessarily true. We know that. And there's a lot of dissent. And I wish they'd just come in here because I could tell them exactly, well, you're an idiot for ever believing it. Don't make any sense, right? There's also a lot of um, other explanations you could take. I'm not going to get into them too deep. I'm going to mention a little bit of them. One is, uh, you may have heard about the Cambrian explosion, okay? In the fossil record, you know, it goes, they date it back to billions of years and all this stuff, but up until about 540 million years ago in their dating process, most of the organisms that they have in the fossil record were uh, small organisms, trilobites, uh, yeah, organisms that you might see in the bottom of the sea, right? Not major animals or major uh, uh, organisms that we see today. And at about 540 million years ago, all of a sudden in the fossil record, you see that just explode. All, all of the things you see pretty much today are in the fossil record, all, all at once. In other words, it didn't happen over time. It just kind of started, and we were all there. It was all there. And you would, so if you're an evolutionist, you say, well, things adapt slowly over time, and so all those organisms that just appeared 540 million years ago would have had to have been gradually progressing. But we don't have that in the fossil record. That's a big gap. We don't see that slowly occurring over time. It just happened all of a sudden. And they, they'll try to say, well, you know, at, the time, at that time something changed and you know, things didn't fossilize well before that. Or, or the organisms that were coming through that time that were being transformed didn't fossilize, didn't, didn't show up very well in the fossil record. They just exploded into it all of a sudden. There's also major gaps in that record, not just at that time and other times. The one thing that evolutionists have said is at some point things progressed, jumped over a species, adapted, became a new species. It, or, it originated in a single-celled organism, amoeba or whatever you want to call it, and did that. There is absolutely no record 
of that happening. There's no fossil evidence to prove that any organism ever jumped over to, a new, to another species, adapted that way. Don't get me wrong, when I say that it is a fact that there's evolution at the micro level, that is not what I'm talking about. There is no fossil record of species evolving into other species. There's no uh, fossil record, there's no transitional form. You would think if a fish became a reptile, there would be some kind of fossil record of that type of animal, right? Or if a frog became a, I don't know, a fox, I don't know. I'm just throwing stuff out. You would have a record of that transitional form, right? Wouldn't you? In the fossil record. Doesn't exist. Never been found. Not been seen. No matter what evolutionists will try to tell you about that, well, there, you know, some things don't fossilize well. There, there's gaps in time. We don't, we can't get it from we can't get it from every eon or every age. There's no evidence of it. <clears throat> so I don't know if you have ever looked at any of the apologetics press stuff on this, uh, Kyle Budd and, and the guys over there. Kyle's been here to do some lessons on it. <clears throat> and I remember one thing they showed was that, well, before I say that, if you look at the fossil record in dinosaurs and all that stuff, they'll say dinosaurs lived in the, I don't know, some long age back. I didn't get into all the biological names. Long before man came into existence. Right? You had the uh, what you, Peking man and all those forms of man coming from ape, right? Until you came to Homo sapiens. <clears throat> Yet dinosaurs had already been extinct by then. And then you go to something like you see at Project Press, and they'll show you paintings of caves. And that's how we see it. You ever seen the cave paintings, you know, that are dated back? Thousands, uh, thousands or millions of years, and they'll see a painting that dates showing a man and a dinosaur on the same wall, dated to the same time. So what they're saying is dinosaurs existed long before man. Man could not have existed with dinosaurs, wouldn't have been able to. Well, there's lots of things in the fossil record, maybe not necessarily fossilized, but paintings and other records we can look at to say, not so fast, not so fast. <clears throat> it doesn't take a trained scientist to see the problems with evolution theory, right? Yes, no? I mean, we've proved out several ways that God created the universe. The universe, whether you want to call it the Big Bang or whatever you want to call it, it was created by God. And we proved out that the universe is still expanding. That is a scientific fact, which proves that at some point it started. And it's still expanding out. You can see stars moving farther away over time from the Earth, things like that. <clears throat> it's not been here forever, and it's not going to be here forever. Evolution is a non-proven theory. It's simply a worldly theory to try to prove that God does not exist. It's simple as that, really. Like I said, it takes a lot more blind faith to believe 
that we got here for some random chance than it does to believe in God. All you got to do is go outside and look around. Look at the creation. Think about how in the world did that get here? How did that just happen randomly? It doesn't take a whole lot of cognitive ability to realize that, right? To me, it, it's just stupid to even think about what scientists try to tell you. But I'm not smart, so I may not know. But I believe in the biblical record. Makes sense to me. And I, yes, sir. About the Leviathan. Yeah. Yeah, Jim says in Job, God tells Job when he's questioning why this is happening, right? He says, Do you know how I created the heavens and the earth, basically? He talks about the animals, the Leviathan, the springs of the sea, the circle of the earth, I think's in there. Yeah. Yeah, all those things that we don't, we're never going to know. We don't understand necessarily. We're never going to understand. But to say that things just randomly happened makes no sense whatsoever. As I mentioned before, since the beginning of whenever, time, man has always had a need to understand that there, has always had a uh, yearning for a higher being, right? A religious uh, rendering, a religious worship. They're always worshiping something that's greater than them. And you think about that, that's easy to understand, right? Like I said, you just go outside and say, how did all this get here? This could not have happened by a man or just by random chance. It had to be a greater being than us, right? There has to be a super, supreme being that created all this. How else could it get here? And then you think now we can, we can know about things in space. We have a view of Earth from space, right? Astronauts that go up and just see this, little, this round ball sitting in the middle of the blackness. And the farther away you get, the farther away you get, it becomes a little dot, right? How did that just happen by random chance? And how the planets circle around it, right? And don't run into each other. You know, just all kinds of things. You can just think about it. It's easy to think. How could that have happened? How could that just happen by chance? All right. Next week we'll talk about some of the things about scientists for Titan. We'll get into that a little bit in evolutionary theory. I hope this is helping you understand some things that, about some of this worldly stuff that you hear about and you see all the time, and perhaps it'll make you think, you know, that's not true. I'm not going to worry about that anymore, right? I believe in God. I believe this is the truth. And remember, what you believe determines what you're going to say and what you're going to do. No two ways about that. All right, time is up. Thanks for being here.